Well, good morning and happy Easter, everybody. I have been excited and looking forward to today for a long time because this is the day when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And I realize that we have a lot of guests here this morning, and I I want you to know, whoever you are or whatever brought you here today, you are welcome at Plum Creek. You know, for followers of Jesus... Easter is a very important day because the resurrection is not just a story or a legend. We believe that Jesus Christ truly rose from the dead. It actually happened. It's a historical event that gives us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. However, I always try to remember, uh, a lot of people don't believe this is real. A lot of people say, I'm not even sure that Jesus existed much less that he was the son of God who died and then came back to life and walked out of a tomb. And if you're here today and you would call yourself a skeptic, let me just say, number one, we are still glad that you're here today. And number two, I can understand why you might hesitate to believe. I'm serious about that. I get it because over the years, a lot of us have learned to be a little skeptical We've learned to keep our guard up because in this world, we hear so many claims that just aren't true. For example, look at advertising. You've got to be careful with ads because sometimes they make claims that are completely ridiculous. This week, I had some fun looking back at vintage advertising from decades ago. Now, they said some crazy stuff back then. For example, I want you to see a 7-Up ad from the 50s. Now, Right away, it's a little startling to see a baby guzzling a sugary carbonated beverage straight from the bottle. But I want you to hear the description in that paragraph paragraph below the picture. It says, this young man is 11 months old, and he isn't our youngest customer by any means. 7-Up is so pure, so wholesome, you can even give it to babies and feel good about it. So the claim is that 7-Up is a pure and wholesome drink. It's great for babies. I'm sorry, I'm not buying that. But here's another one. This ad is for a vacuum cleaner. It says, Christmas morning, she'll be happier with a Hoover. (laughs) If I didn't know any better, I'd say the Hoover company is trying to get me in a lot of trouble. (laughs) Thanks, but no thanks. Okay, one more. And this one is next level bonkers. Apparently, back in 1895, some people thought it would be a great idea to treat a child's toothache with cocaine. See the claim there? It says instantaneous cure. And sure, you might solve one problem, but you'll have a whole new set of problems before the day's over. So there is a long history of people making claims that just don't match up with reality. But let's come back to the story of Easter. Where do you stand with the resurrection of Jesus? Would you call it a a historical fact? Do you believe that it's credible? Or would you say, eh, sounds a little out there to me. I want to read you a claim that Jesus made about himself. In John 11, 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Now, with this statement... Jesus isn't just claiming that he will rise from the dead. He goes further than that. He says, I am the resurrection 
And what's that supposed to mean? Well, the rest of the verse gives us a hint. Jesus says, anyone who believes in him will have life after death. So according to this claim, Jesus has power over death, not only for himself, though. He's also able and willing to extend that resurrection power to you and to me. Now, that is an exciting possibility. We need that kind of power because death is an enemy that has terrified humanity throughout history. How cool would it be to have victory over death? Obviously, that would be very cool. It would be the best news in the world. And yet, the skeptics in the room may ask, come on, how can anybody take this claim from Jesus at face value? How do you just simply believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life? Well, it comes down to this. Listen to these words that were spoken almost 2,000 years ago next to an empty tomb in Jerusalem. Matthew chapter 28, verse 6. He is not here. He has risen, just as He said. Now, if those words are true, if Jesus really promised that He would rise from the dead and then He kept that promise, well, then we can believe absolutely everything He said, right? When, when somebody defeats death, they have automatic credibility in my book. So let me tell you what we're going to do for the rest of our time here. We're going to deal with two questions. First, how can I believe what the Bible says about the resurrection of Jesus? And then second, how can the resurrection make a difference in my life? So let's start with that first question. How can I believe in the Bible's account of the resurrection? Well, let's go back and see what the Bible says. There's a great summary over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul is writing to a group of Christians here, and he says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to Scriptures. So that's the story. Jesus died, He was buried, and then He rose again. It's not hard to understand, but for some people it is hard to believe and the truth is, even though I'm a preacher, there have been times where I had to work through my own questions and doubts about this. Eventually, though, I landed on some solid reasons to believe in the resurrection. And a lot of it is based on logic. A few years ago, I shared some of my reasons to believe, but maybe you weren't here then, so I'll share them again this morning. And I'll start with three truths that are just based on logic. Number one, we exist. Kind of hard to argue with that one, right? I mean, look around. We're alive. We're breathing. We're here. Uh, that's a reality that you can't ignore. And then that takes us straight to a second conclusion. Since we exist, we can argue that life was created. Now, by that, I mean life did not just appear randomly. Life was created. And to me, that just makes sense. I've heard someone describe it this way. I want to show you a picture of a cake. It's a beautiful wedding cake. And I think we would all agree that somebody worked hard on that, right? But what if I told you that someone took a bucket and then grabbed a few eggs, tossed them into the bucket, then grabbed some flour and sugar and other ingredients, threw all those things in there, and then, then set off a firecracker in that bucket, and all of a sudden, boom, this cake popped out fully decorated, ready to go. 
I don't think we could get anyone to believe that, right? And in the same way, we can look around this world and see the work of a great designer. There is design in creation. There's also life. And we forget what a miracle it is that there are living things in this world. We don't always think of life as miraculous because it's common. It's all around us. But that doesn't make it any less of a miracle. This is the work of a creator. He not only made us, he not only gave us life, he sustains us. Think about it. Why is your heart beating right now? Are you making that happen? Are you consciously ordering every heartbeat? Like, okay, go, go, go. I'm really glad that's not how it works. So where does the logic take us here? It's not that complicated. If life was created once, and it was, well, then resurrection is believable because all of life is a miracle. And if God did it once, He could surely do it again. Now, I realize so far we've been sort of general, but what happens when we get specific? What reasons do we have to believe in the resurrection of Jesus? There's a lot we could say on this subject, but we'll keep it simple here, too. When you're trying to decide if you believe that Jesus really rose from the dead, you have to account for three commonly accepted historical facts. Number one, Jesus did die by crucifixion. Even among critical scholars, nearly all of them would agree that the crucifixion actually happened. They agree that Jesus Christ was a real person, and he died a real death on the cross. He didn't just pass out temporarily. He, he wasn't in a coma. He was dead. So that's fact number one, and here's number two. On the first Easter, on Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. Now, in this case, not all scholars agree, but there is still a strong majority who accept this statement as true. And we should note that some of the doubters here are driven by a personal bias. But at any rate, we have overwhelming agreement that, number one, Jesus died by crucifixion. Number two, the tomb was empty. But you might say, well, so what? Maybe someone stole the body or, or just moved it. Why would we jump straight to believing in a resurrection? Well, you still have to deal with a third historical fact. Many witnesses, both friends and foes, gave testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. Hundreds, literally hundreds. The Apostle Paul shares some of this evidence back in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes that Jesus was raised from the dead and that he appeared to Cephas. Uh, that's another name for Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus. And then he appeared to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, that's the brother of Jesus, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. So do you see what Paul just did? This is just like somebody putting footnotes in a research paper today. Uh, when Paul wrote these words, Many of these eyewitnesses were still alive. So he's saying, if anyone has doubts about the resurrection, you can go talk to any of the hundreds of people who saw him after he came back to life. Ask them to share their story. They'd be happy to tell you all about it. Over the years, I've done a lot of research about the resurrection, and I've found all kinds of evidence that leads me to believe that this is true. But out of all the evidence, 
nothing is more compelling to me than what we learn about these eyewitnesses. You see, the original disciples of Jesus followed him for three years. They heard his amazing teaching. They saw his powerful miracles, and they joined this growing movement based on a love for God and a love for people. But then came that horrific day when the disciples lost their leader. Jesus had been their hero, their Messiah. He he was supposed to lead them to victory over all their enemies, but instead, Jesus was executed in the most brutal fashion. He was crucified, and his body was laid in a tomb. It was a terrifying example of what could happen if you go up against the Jewish authorities and the Roman Empire. So think about it. After the death of Jesus, what would we expect from this small band of unschooled, ordinary disciples? Well, you would expect them to abandon this movement and scatter because that's exactly what happened with many other movements. Some leader would rise up, claim to be the Messiah, but then he would be overthrown and executed. And in every other case, when the leader died, the movement died. So, here's what we have to explain. After the crucifixion, how do you explain the fact that Christianity spread like wildfire across the world in places like Europe and Asia and Africa and eventually northern Kentucky? How do you explain the fact that many of these disciples were willing to die for their belief in the resurrection? It just doesn't seem plausible that they were lying or trying to invent a legend because people aren't willing to die for a lie. But here's what we find as we look back in history. Many of these original disciples came to face their own execution and they said, sure, go ahead, kill me. You'll never get me to deny that Jesus rose from the dead because I saw it. He defeated death. And I'll choose him over you any day. When I hear stories like that, and I put them next to all the other evidence I've seen, there's only one answer that makes sense to me. Christ has died, and Christ is risen. Now, if you remember, I said that we would deal with two questions this morning. The first was, how can I believe in the resurrection? The second was, how can the resurrection make a difference in my life? And this question is very important because if you decide that you do believe in the resurrection, but then that fact has no significant impact on your life today, well, you've completely missed the point. In addition to this claim that Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible makes two more big claims. Let's look at them. First, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we can have new life here and now. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And when Jesus uses the word they in this verse, he's talking about us. He wants us to have a full and abundant life here in this world. So that's one major claim, but here's another one. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we can have new life for eternity. That promise goes back to what we read earlier in John eleven twenty five. 25. Remember that? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And this is huge, isn't it? Jesus makes the claim that our lives don't have to end in death. 
He is able and willing to extend that resurrection power to us, to to give us eternal life with him in heaven. So like I said, these are two big claims from Scripture. Earlier, I asked if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Now I want to ask, where do you stand with these two claims? Do you believe that Jesus will give us new life here and now, but also for eternity? Are these things credible to you? If you hesitate to believe, I want to say again, I understand. I get it. There are several reasons why you might have a hard time believing this. Maybe you've seen a version of Christianity that's not very appealing. You've seen too many people who claim to be a Christian, but then the truth comes out. You discover that their lives don't match up with what they say they believe. And you know, I'm not here to argue with you. It's discouraging to look at the church and see scandals or splits or people who are just plain mean. So that may be where your doubts come from. But it's possible that you're different. Maybe you have a hard time believing because you've been through too much. Once upon a time, you had a positive outlook on life, but now hope is hard to come by. Maybe you lost a a relationship or a marriage or a family. Maybe you lost your job or your health or your sense of worth. Maybe you lost someone you love. Any of those things can leave us grieving and feeling hopeless. And again, I'm not here to argue. This life can beat you up, no doubt about it. But you know, just like I found reasons to believe that Jesus really rose from the dead, I've also found reasons to believe that Jesus will give us new life. I'm not saying that he'll take away all your problems. I'm not saying that he'll make you rich or famous or give you every little thing your heart desires. But I am saying that wherever there's hopelessness, Jesus can bring hope. And wherever there's brokenness, Jesus can bring wholeness and restoration. And wherever there's death and darkness... Jesus can bring life and light. I believe that because I've seen it. I could give you a long list of names. I can point you to many people who say, my life used to be a complete mess, but then I encountered Jesus and I've never been the same because he's given me hope and he's given me a brand new life. Many of the names I would mention are people in this room right now. You might be sitting next to one of them And you know, the Bible tells us that Jesus will do this for any of us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Here at Plum Creek, we have a mission. Our mission is leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And we believe that Jesus doesn't make you a slightly better person. Jesus makes you a completely new person. You're a new creation. You're forgiven of your sins. You're freed from your past. It's a whole new life. That's what this verse is saying. The truth is, that's what we all need. We need this relationship with Jesus that connects us to his resurrection power. Jesus offers that relationship to anyone and everyone, but we don't have it automatically. It is a gift but we do have to receive it. The Bible explains that we begin this relationship by faith. 
And when you put your faith in Jesus, you're not only believing in Him, you're also putting your life in His hands. You make Him your Lord and your Master. You turn away from everything that's not what He wants. And you're also baptized or immersed into Christ. That's when you are literally buried in water to mark the end of an old life and the start of a brand new life with Jesus at the center. From that point on, you you spend the rest of your life allowing Jesus to guide you, direct you, and lead you. And I've got to tell you, this life-changing relationship with Jesus, it's not the same thing as just going to church. And putting your faith in Jesus is not the same thing as just saying you believe and then living however you want. Now, when somebody has a genuine relationship with Jesus, you will see life change. Like I said, I've seen that transformation many times. But now, if I were you and I heard someone like me claim that I know a lot of people who have been changed by Jesus, I'd be saying, well, if you've got names, give me names. And that's a fair thing to ask. So let me give you a couple names. Joe and Tracy Lippert. The Lippards have been here at Plum Creek for several years now, but from the time I met them until today, I've seen a dramatic change in their lives and in their family. We asked them to share some of their story, so let's watch this together. Hi, I'm Tracy Lippert, and this is my husband, Joe. We've been married for 22 and a half years. We have two wonderful sons. (laughs) Jacob, who is a senior in high school, and Trevor, who will be 15. Like a lot of people, we have a story to tell, and Doug asked us if we would share our story with you. Hello, Uh, as she said, I'm Joe. I guess my story starts a little bit farther back. I had kind of grown up with an absent father. I had actually, I had my father, he was on the road a lot uh, working, but um, as far as anything oriented for church or uh, to God, just it wasn't there. Really didn't realize how badly that that was gonna affect me down the road when I became a young man and a husband. And a father. That, that part is what I really struggle with and just making sure that I do the best that I can with, with Jake and Trevor because you know I want to be able to share my life with them and I want to be able to let them know honestly what it takes to be a true man in this world. Because I can tell you there was a time that I wasn't. It was a struggle. I had a heart of stone. It was cold. A lot of shame, a lot of regret. There was a time that our stories were not coinciding and we ran into some hardships along the way. Um, and during that time, I, I had, we had been attending a church, a different church. Um, Joe had stopped going to church with the boys and I. Um, and I reached out to church leaders, but 
didn't seem like there was any help there. I can just remember when it finally came that there was nobody else to to cry out to. So I just was laying flat on my back and just looking up into the heavens and it was God. But finally when I disallowed myself not to be so cold and my heart to be so hard, I finally allowed him to come back into my life. I'm just thankful, grateful that despite everything that happened, my wife stood by my side. And with all that being said, I was introduced to come here to Plum Creek myself a little while after Tracy and Jake and Trevor came. And uh, I got to talk to Doug and we got to share. It was shortly, I mean, it was several months after I had been here attending regularly and a true feeling came across me that day. It was in August, 2012. I was sitting right over on the right side and I was ready. I was immersed and when I came out, it was a feeling that I had never experienced before in my life. It was true. So we, we were here for several years. Um, and as I said before, we had been baptized already. And every Sunday, Doug would stand up in front of us all and ask us if there was anything we needed to do. If we needed to be baptized to accept the Lord Jesus as our God and our Savior. And that was something that I thought about a lot, but I had already been baptized, and I wasn't sure, because I've been baptized, why, why do I need to do this again? Um, but it was, I just felt that something was missing in my life. Um, it was just like a nagging in the back of my head that something wasn't there. Um, so one day, uh, my son Trevor came home from school and he sits down in my office and he said, Mom, he's like, I want to talk to you about something serious. And to my surprise, he told me that he wanted to be baptized. He said, you know, Mom, he's like, you and Dad made a decision to baptize me as a baby. He's like, I want to make this decision on my own. So the, Jesus knows that I chose him. It was, it was really cool. So we went and we talked to Jacob, and to find out, all three of us had been praying, praying about being baptized. This is something that, that we need to do. This is something we should do. We've been baptized. But in that moment, then I, I knew that God used my baby to open our eyes to the fact that we needed to accept him as our Lord and our Savior. So on December, 17th, no, December 10th, 2017, Jacob, Trevor, and I made the decision to get baptized. Very good cross to 
greatest of all. And after being submerged, it was just, came out of that water feeling fresh and new. And it was part of the experience, but it was just something deeper and, and more meaningful and just difficult to put into words. Just how awesome God is. Um, and since that time, I don't feel as weighted down. God's in charge, and there's nothing that I can do, regardless of how hard I try. Um, and, and it gives me peace knowing that I have Him on my side, and that He's looking out for me and for us and for our family, and knowing that we are giving the gift of eternal life. That was, I mean, that was, that was a big thing with me. I can, I can honestly say right now that if, if he calls me home tonight, I'm ready. If, again, if I wasn't invited here by Missy, we wouldn't, our family wouldn't be where it is. And Lord knows where we, where we, we wouldn't be at Plum Creek. And where we would be. We wouldn't have the relationship with God that we have. So invite people. It could change their lives. <laughs> I think back to the time when I first met Joe and Tracy. At that time, they were in a dark place. Things were not looking good. And you would not have expected them to be where they are today. But here they are. God is good. And the power of Jesus is real. Joe and Tracy have found forgiveness and restoration and new life. I love looking back and remembering when the Lipperts were baptized. That's such a powerful picture of the new life that we're talking about. But you know, I wouldn't blame somebody for being confused about baptism. After all, why does getting dunked in water have anything to do with giving your life to Jesus? Well, the answer to that question is actually very cool. In the Bible, in Romans chapter 6, we learn that baptism is a chance to reenact the resurrection. It's a chance for us to play the part of Jesus. Listen to these words from Romans 6. It says, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. So this historical event is not just something that happened in the past. There's a direct connection to us today. The very next verse in Romans 6 says, If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. So do you see why the resurrection is so important? If Jesus did not rise from the dead, well then, we have no hope of eternal life. But Jesus has risen. And because of that truth, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be unsure. You can have confidence that because Jesus is alive, he gives us new life, both now and forever. 
I saw a great quote this week, and I'm not sure who said it, but I love it because it's so true. It says, if your problem is not greater than the rising of Jesus Christ from the dead, God has already demonstrated He can handle your problem. Now, is that a big claim to make? Sure it is. But I've seen there's lots of evidence to back it up. It's true. And many of us have decided to stake our lives on this truth. We're staking all of eternity on this truth. My prayer is that all of us will do the same thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the story that we remember today. And I thank you even more that it's not just a story. It really happened. And it gives us hope that death doesn't have to defeat us. All the things that bring us down in this life, there is victory available through Jesus. So, Lord, for everyone who has claimed that promise, that victory, I pray that you'll help us to walk in it, live in it, to to be living demonstrations of the hope and life change that comes from you. But if there's anyone here that has not yet claimed that promise, Lord, I, I pray that you will give them the clarity and the courage to respond to you and accept what you offer. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.